Amen. Turn around and say hello to somebody. Hey, how y'all doing? Good to see you. All right. Yes, I heard Gabe back there say hello somebody. Yeah, that's it. That's it. It's like the, um, the old Jackie Gleason <coughs> bit with Norton who was told to address the ball in golf. And he said, okay, hello, ball. And uh, so, hello, somebody. Good to see all of you tonight. Glad that you're here in the house of the Lord. This is Missions Month. And we want to fill out those faith promise forms and put them in the offering plate. We've got them right here, and you can get them after the service. Praise the Lord. Also, be reminded that up coming, those kitties are going to come to your door on Halloween night. We don't believe in it, we don't practice it, but when they come by, we want to reach them with the gospel, get those tracks ready. All right, let's be ready for that that's coming up. Let's turn it around for Jesus. That way we are maintaining our witness, that's what we would do anyway, except reversed. When we were in California years ago, one of the first Halloweens, we just got everybody in the church organized. We had 70 people on visitation that night, Tom. 70 people. We went out door to door on Halloween. Of course, they came to the door expecting little ghosts and goblins. And we said, uh, uh, we have a treat for you and this is not a trick. And then we say, we'd like to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. We had a lot of people saved that night. That was the night that a man who was completely inebriated uh, tried to stop me from going into his complex. He had no authority whatsoever. And so I did what every good leader does. I stopped. I stood down with him right there, and he got this far from my face, and he spat in my face. And you know how I know I'm saved? He's still in one piece as far as I know. That's it. Amen. And while he was doing that, while he was being Mr. Big Tough Guy, spitting in the preacher's face, all my people went around to every door in that complex. Amen. Glory to God. So always turn it around for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's do that. This is that time of year. Thank you once again to all of our faithful workers. We had a wonderful extravaganza. A lot of follow-up we're going to do now. Amen. And uh, don't forget, three months out, on January the 20th, extravaganza number three. And uh, we're looking forward to that. Come on with your ideas and with your input and be part of it. Amen. All that's going on. And then, of course, next Sunday. 9.45, all the classes, all the boys and girls, all the adults, all the Hispanics, everybody will be in here at 9.45. And we will have testimonies and music and special features, pictures and pictures up there, and wonderful things on our 60th anniversary as a church. Glory to God. Then we're going to have a brief break. Uh, they call it intermission in the world. We're going to have intermission. And uh, choir is going to come back in. And kick off the 11 o'clock service. There won't be a seat to be had. You better have seats saved. You better have people sitting there. Get your people here. Everybody fill a row. Let's all fill a row. We're going to have a wonderful time. We'll have special guests and uh, great, great ministry of music and remembrances. And, and uh, uh, we'll have a, a mic, open mic, but, but we'll have certain guidelines with respect to time and content. And, uh, and then afterwards, going out to the buffet, see Brother Tyler about that, make your reservation. There's going to be a great cake for the anniversary. I'm telling you, it's going to be a special day to the glory 
of God. I hope you're planning to be here. I hope you're going to bring somebody with you. Fill up a row. Everybody, bring out your relatives, your neighbors, uh, in-laws, outlaws, uh, prospects, suspects, etc. Okay, that's coming up. Don't forget, we're going to have Care and Share on the 18th of November. That's Saturday, uh, 4 o'clock. And we're going to have turkey and ham. And we're going to have all the special fixings and desserts. I'm telling you, it's going to be wonderful. A great day. Bring folks out. Let's bring them in, bring them in, bring them in. And we'll see lots of folks get saved. And then in the month of December, we've got the celebration of the first advent, the first coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. Because guess what? He's coming again. We need to be prepared. We need to get all the folks in that we possibly can on into 2024. I can't believe I'm saying that. 2024 is just around the corner. Amen. And we want to be growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, talking about grace. And um, there are people who think grace is just being able to balance a book on your head and walk straight. Or they think, uh, you know, Grace, Mrs. Ortiz, it's Grace, it's a lady's name. And, um, and I know that people have different ideas about Grace or being graceful. But Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And we are saved by Grace. There's no other way to be saved. And it's, it's not of ourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. We know that. Uh, it says that. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But back one chapter. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. Now, I touched on it this morning. We were talking about styles of preaching, Alex. And that style of preaching was popularized by Oswald Chambers in the tents of uh, all those fighting men uh, of Great Britain, all the fighting forces stationed down in Egypt during World War I. And he actually contracted fever and died there. But his wife Libby was sitting there and taking his extemporaneous speaking down in notes. And when you buy the complete works of Oswald Chambers, which I own several of, you are buying the notes that Libby wrote down and for years produced and it was published and some of them out of Canada, I believe. But I enjoy, next to the Bible, I enjoy Oswald Chambers, very deep thinker, and he did all of that on the fly, shooting from the hip, if you can imagine that. Everything Oswald Chambers said that's been written down, he, didn't, he never wrote it in a book. Libby wrote it in a book. He spoke it. He spoke it and he was teaching it. And he was, and he was doing a little bit what we did this morning. You know, they asked J. Frank Norris, that great uh, the Texas cyclone, uh, you know, how long did that message take to prepare? How, how long did it take you to get ready to preach that? He said, 40 years and five minutes. Because you absorb, you have this resource of truth. If you're in the Word, and you want to get in the Word as much as you can, get as much of the Word in you, then you're going to be ready always to give an answer of the hope that lies within you. Amen. And so this morning I was speaking along and I was remembering all the places where there was fellowship. And I remembered in Ephesians, even though I'm preaching that tonight, I went there and I said, now I'm not going to talk about grace this morning. I'm talking about grace to run the race, grace to finish the race, grace to, to be able to, to stand the test and, and make it through. Every single day, mark it down, is going to be a challenge. You know, if you have an easy day as a sold-out Christian, either the devil overlooked you and counts yourself blessed. 
You know, the world, the flesh, and the devil didn't come down hard on you. Count yourself blessed. Or maybe you're dead. Check your pulse, all right? Make sure, read the obituary page, make sure your name's not there. Because it is the normal uh, routine of every day of a sold-out Christian to be challenged in their faith. And a faith that can't be challenged, that can't stand up under challenge, is not worth having. So make sure that you're lined up with the Word in every respect. And boy, the grace of God, I'm telling you what, has accomplished so much. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is writing, and as was the case in most of the letters of that day and of the Bible, Paul signs his name, an apostle, a sent one, a sent one with a mission. He sent with authority, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now think about that. There are those who would like to make themselves a certain something and have standing and have a, have a placard on their door that says they are the, the, the grand poobah of whatever area of ministry. But you know what? That's not important. That is not important. You know, we could actually get something done for God if we didn't worry about who had to get the credit. Amen. So let's just, let's all work together. That's what was going on yesterday with that extravaganza. We had a whole lot of body parts that were connected and working in concert with the head, which is Jesus Christ, and the body was working yesterday. Amen. And that's the way it always ought to be on visitation. And uh, listen, we need to get, somebody asked me this morning, he said, uh, what day is the bus ministry? That's what the person said to me. And I said, right now it's not. And he said, yeah, I know, but I want it to be. I said, good, you're on the right side. I said, well, you've got to visit on Saturday and pick up on Sunday. That's the very least. But you've got 24-7, you've got to think, breathe, and love the bus ministry. You've got to love the kids. You've got to love the Lord Jesus. It's got to be something, not that you are forced to do, but something that you are compelled by the, by the grace and mercy of God to do. And that's the same way with Sunday school. Don't teach Sunday school just because somebody put pressure on you. Teach Sunday school because it's in your heart. Witness because it's in your heart. Sing in the choir because it's in your heart. Serve God. Receive the offering. Uh, be an usher because it's in your heart. Work in the sound booth because it's in your heart. Be a greeter because it's in your heart. Work with kids. Work with old people. Work with, you know, difficult people because it's in your heart. Obviously, it's not going to be because of how you feel and how it goes because it doesn't always feel good and doesn't always go well. But thank God for Jesus Christ for His grace. All right, so there it is. By the will of God to the saints. Now, a saint is a sanctified one. A saint is, a one, is one who has been saved by grace through faith, which are at Ephesus. Look it up on your map. It was a, a highly educated commercial center. And to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So we got saints and faithful I don't know if that's two separate categories overlapping or what it is or if it's concentric circles. But you know what? It's possible to be a saint and not be faithful. It's possible. It is. Uh, but you can't, you can't possibly be anything but out of sync and out of connection if you're not saved. You've got to get saved, the Bible. You must be born again. That's it. All right. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with some, most, no, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. What He's blessed us with is in a place where we can't even get to to mess it up. Praise the Lord. Because when we end up, I mean, that's man's religion. When man gets involved in this, 
entire process. Man messes it up. But here you have the Lord depositing that in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. According as He hath chosen us in Him. How are we chosen? In Him. All right, now, you and I cannot figure this out. We just have to faith it out. Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So what is His ultimate plan? Just that we get a fire escape out of hell? Absolutely not. God's plan and program is that we get saved and then that we grow in grace and then that we bring God pleasure and then that we work as His ambassadors, His representatives, and we serve Him faithfully and there are changes in our life, transformations, and the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. Places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. The people I used to hang out with, I don't hang out with anymore. There's been a great change. Since I've been born again, somebody once asked me, what can I do about these old friends that I used to have? I said, just live like a Christian. They won't hang around very long. They either get saved or they'll get gone. They don't want to hang around you. Man, you, you make them feel guilty. You don't have to say a word just by your life. You bring them into conviction. Amen. That's it. So there it is. He wants us to live like we're truly saved, to have attitudes that are definitely sanctified attitudes. Oh, I could park it here and preach for a long time. The grace of God is the only antidote to your bad, stinking attitude. If you got a problem with people, you got a problem with life, you got a problem with the job, you got a problem with your neighbors, you got a problem with the in-laws, you got a problem with this, that, the other thing, you got a problem, you got a long list of problems. Oh, pity poor me. How many times can you paint this scene with bright red paint across the picture and say, I am a victim. Pity me. Because that is exactly what people who are saved and ought to know better do when instead of being victorious in Christ, they decide to bring up the past and talk about wrongdoing and talk about people that don't do them right, don't think of them right, don't treat them right, people that aren't, you know, right with your thinking. And that's, listen, folks, I got to tell you right now, we are never going to win this world to Christ by being a bunch of victims. Last thing God needs is a boatload of victims. He needs us to be victors, to be victorious in Jesus Christ. He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. That's a mouthful. If you would write that down on a 3x5 or 4x6 card and keep it with you, and go over it and read it several times every single day, it'd start to sink in after a while. And you would realize, this is it. I didn't just get saved to go to heaven. If that were the case, God is very cruel in leaving us here in this wicked world. We got saved so that we could live for Jesus. There could be a transformation, a change. Ultimately, we're going to heaven, but in the meantime, there's a whole lot of living between the cross and heaven. And there it is. We've been predestinated under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, this whole business of adoption of children, we didn't get into the family of God by adoption. We got into the family of God by the new birth. Now, this adoption business is when in the, the Hebrew or Jewish community, when a child is recognized as approaching adult years, they are given adult recognition and responsibilities. That's what the Apostle Paul is writing about by inspiration. He's saying, grow up, folks. Grow up. You didn't just get saved. You got saved so that you could stay here a while and serve and grow up 
And now you can be entrusted with adult spiritual responsibilities. That's it. The adoption of children takes place when a child is anywhere around 12 years of age to up into teenage years in the, in the human realm. So in the spiritual realm, think about this. Think about this. After we have grown in grace, the Lord says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you now. You depend on me, and I want you to serve me with your life. I want you to make in every respect me Lord of your life, every area of your life. And he ought to be Lord of our life. Now, he is Lord, <laughs> but not everybody acknowledges him. Not everybody lives and draws upon that truth. Here we go, verse number 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Now, we're not just loved, we're beloved. Put the B-E on the front of loved, and that intensifies it. We are part of that intensely loved group. And, please notice, that uh, we have been made accepted. That does not mean acceptable. We still have to struggle with the old nature every day. I'm not going to ask you who said or did something wrong this week, because we're all guilty. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, there ought to be greater and greater distance between our time of lapsing, our time of falling, stumbling. As we trust the Lord and we grow in grace, we get more mature, we, we understand, you know what? If, if I let myself go and say and think and do the things that are going on in my old nature, well, I will ruin my testimony, bring reproach on the name of Jesus Christ. I will not be living for the good pleasure of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That just can't be. I need, I need to grow up. I need, I need to be accepted in the Beloved. Even though I may not be acceptable in and of myself, I need to be accepted. I'll never forget when I got that first letter back from college. Now, colleges were seeking recruits, and I had... Uh, some some uh, attributes that some colleges might have been interested in. But then I got the letter from Bible College and said, Welcome to the Bible College family. And I felt good. I was accepted. That by no means exempted me from things, discipline that might happen if I did something wrong. In fact, the first two weeks they sat us down. It took them nearly two weeks to tell us all the rules. And the reason they had all those rules is because my brother and sister had been in that college before me, and they, they were the ones that caused all those rules to be written. I'm kidding. But uh, they told me some stories. And so, anyway, they told us all the rules, and, and they told us how to be appropriate and how to be proper. Do you know they had a class on etiquette for college freshmen, how to sit and how to set your table and how to take which fork and, and what to do what with what, and, you know, don't, don't, eat improperly and don't say and speak and do things that are inappropriate. And they taught us all those things. Now, even with all of that, believe it or not, I'm still not acceptable. I'm accepted. I was accepted. The letter said I was accepted. And so I was there and I was in the college life because of that letter that said I was accepted. We are in this thing of Christian life because the Bible says we're accepted. Remember the song I wrote? That thief that stood there at the gate of paradise, why should we let you in? And he said, I don't know any verses, maybe they'll let me slide. And he said, man on the middle cross said I could come in. That's it. That's it. The Bible says I'm accepted. That's good enough. Amen. All right. So in whom we have redemption, that's being bought back. Kids, we were free, but then sin enslaved us 
And the blood of Jesus Christ bought us back and gave us our freedom again in Christ. Redemption, that's what that is. Through His blood, you can't take out the blood. Now, if you end up going to a religious gathering somewhere and they all gather around the campfire and they get the guitar out, nothing wrong with the guitar, but they get the guitar out and uh, they start singing a bunch of songs and they leave out the blood. Remind them it's the blood. It's the blood. And if they just talk about the death of Jesus Christ, or if you get a book that they call a Bible and it doesn't have the blood of Jesus Christ, it's not a Bible. Because the two cannot be separated. That's it. So we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Nothing more wonderful than forgiveness in this world according to the riches of His grace. Underline that. The riches of His grace. The riches of His grace include our redemption, our forgiveness. Wow. That is, that is something that must be considered a treasure. Too valuable to be priced. It is beyond price. Too high a price paid for you and me. Did you know that? Jesus paid too high a price for you and for me. Jesus paid such a high price, but he gave his own lifeblood, and he was, he was rejected by God and man. God the Father turned his face from his Son upon the cross because Jesus had taken upon himself, actually taken upon himself, all the sins of all mankind. Every sin that every person ever thought about committing in all of history, past, present, and future, Jesus took upon himself. God couldn't look on him. God turned his face from him. He was wounded. He was bruised. He was rejected. All of those things for you and for me. Think about that. The riches of his grace. Now get this. Wherein he hath abounded toward us, in all wisdom and prudence. This business of being saved is not about staying in the instructional, the lower level leagues, but moving on up to the majors. I'm going to use that analogy. Uh, how many of you are familiar with the historic uh, levels of baseball? Let's say you come out of high school, out of college, and, and you need to be instructed. They'll put you in the B leagues. And the B leagues had the teams, at one time there were probably 50 or 100 B league teams around the country. But, but if you got your basic instruction down and you learned how to field, now any infielders here? Any infielders here? Now it's very important, very important when that grounder is coming towards you, get all the way down, all the way down, otherwise that ball is going to go through your legs. You gotta get all the way down. Now, if it's coming as a hopper, you can't just stab at it. Now, if you have if you have super duper skills and timing, you can probably get by in doing it outside of what we would call the fundamentals. The fundamentals is, are that you get in front of that ball, and if if you don't get it in the mitt, at least you get it bouncing off your body. Shortstop, third base, any place in the infield, actually, but mostly. Third base and shortstop. Anybody play there? It can be painful. I played third base. It was painful. Especially if you play up on those guys. And they see you and they, there's this little, that little that grin. Because you know what they're going to do? They're going to they're short stick that bat and they're going to put it right in your chest or your face. Or slap it down and it's going to come back up and it's going to hit you in your chin. Been there, done that. Understood what that is all about. There it is. And, and this is important for us to understand tonight only 
in that God's grace is so great, He wants us to grow up, to come along, to learn some things, to get, to get some smarts about daily living, and to apply it, and no matter what happens, just get up and keep on going, and don't stop, keep on growing in grace, and uh, never let the world, the flesh, and the devil gain advantage over that progress. Having made known unto us the mystery of His will. There's His will again. Where do we see that before? Verse number 1. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Down here we have, having made known unto us the mystery of His will. The word mystery in the Bible, mark it down, is not like a whodunit. It's not like, uh, like a uh, Sherlock Holmes, where you've got to figure out, you know, by the last act that the butler did it in the, in the kitchen. Who knows? But... Uh, there it is. The mystery, the mystery is that which we would never figure out if God didn't tell us plainly. That's called revelation. When God lays it out, He says, this is what that meant before. These are how these parts fit together from the Old Testament into the New. This is how it makes sense. And this is how it needs to be lived out. All right, everybody with me? There it is. Having made known unto us, how? Through the Bible. The mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself. All right? That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are on earth, even in Him. Here's what He's saying. You don't have to be born a Jew to make it to heaven. You don't have to be... Uh, part of a spiritual line of blue bloods. All you need to do is you need to have that relationship where we're in Him. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The concept of being in Christ. I don't always understand everything I should, and I have to work at it, and I have to pray and ask the Lord to help my understanding. But I want to be advanced. I want to abound. I want to have wisdom and prudence. I want to be able to face life's challenges according to God's perfect will. And so, according to His good pleasure, He's purposed in Himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of Him who worketh all things after the counsel of His own will. God's not going to make it up as He goes along. All of this is foreordained. It is pre-established. And it is His will for God's people to fit that perfect will, that perfect plan. And that is His desire. This has nothing to do with a heavenly lottery in which some people's numbers were pulled and some people's numbers were not and so, no matter what you do, you're automatically going to get saved or automatically be lost without any hope. There's nothing about that kind of a lottery in heaven, in the Bible, anywhere. What this has to do with is our coming full circle and developing as a believer and yielding to God and fulfilling His purpose. That's it. He created us for His own good pleasure. If we decided we're going to stop short and just be a 25%, a 20 cent, 25, 30 cent Christian instead of, instead of the entire development, then here's what's going to happen. We are going to be the loser. 
That's, that's the main thing. We're going to be the loser. The way you enjoy the fullness of blessings is by having the fullness of God the Father, the fullness of God the Son, the fullness of God the Spirit in your life, fulfilling that purpose, being sold out to God, a sold out Christian. Now, with that is going to come the everyday 24-7 challenge. You're going to face the challenge. And you can face it by the grace of God. There it is. We've obtained an inheritance. And that inheritance has yet to be fully realized. When you step into the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and you receive commendation and when we have crowns to cast at His feet, we will understand it better by and by. I do not, I do not claim to have inside information any different than any other commentator or, or believer who has ever lived and read this scripture. That being said, I have many, commentator, many commentaries and many commentators differ with each other. And so what you and I need to understand is God's got it all and it's for us and we just need to be in His will right now, right now, this moment. We need to be growing in grace and moving right along. And in the end, it's all going to come out right because he's got it all planned out. That we should be to the praise of his glory who, who first trusted in Christ, which uh, was the verse of our Bible college where I attended and graduated. And um, I'll never forget singing those, those beautiful notes that were written to these concepts uh, written down, placed to music by the founder's wife, a wonderful song to the praise of his glory. Amen and amen. And I thank God that we understand on Fellowship Sunday how this works out practically. Here's how it works out. This morning I spoke on Let's Practice Book of Acts Fellowship. Fellowship means what? means going the same direction with the right people, going the right direction, etc. What that means along the way is giving godly help and assistance to others who are traveling that road the same time we are. There's a lot more of that we could do, and we could do a lot better at it. First of all, we're not sensitive. Many of us are shut out. And the shut out status has been enhanced, it's been made worse, actually, by the, the system and the world in which we live. We just we shut out everything. And we, we just live in front of that screen or in front of that device or in that book. And, and we become practical isolationists. Instead of being a people person, I was not born a people person. I was born an introvert. At least that's what I became during my years of, of not being accountable. As a little guy, I got very bashful. And there were probably, I can think back on some things. And I don't have to have therapy because of it. I just want you to know that. I've worked through this with Jesus and me. But um, as a little guy, I was a just a very backward, shy person. And here's, here's what happened. The Lord got a hold of my heart so that my behavior became less isolated. 
And so when I, you ask my wife, sweetie, isn't it true? Yeah, it is. When, when uh, I go into a store, it is just the way I am now. I just speak to everybody, try to engage everybody in conversation, try to give a tract out to everybody, try to, try to brighten everybody's day, try to give everybody a smile in more than one way, and, and uh, that's it. That's it. Now, that awareness in dealing with other Christians, with family members, friends, church members, is so needed. We need to help and assist and encourage and edify others as much as possible. Some we need to mentor and teach and bring along. All of these are positives, and uh, these are part of the spiritual process of fellowship. If we don't teach and train and bring others along, the church is going to wither and die on the vine. We need to absolutely do that. You say, I just can't. What did we just preach about? Grace. That grace is enough for you and me to meet our challenges, but also to help our fallen brothers and sisters and help those that are stumbling and struggling and those that are just having a hard time and those that are frustrated and those that can't piece it together and figure it out. We need to be there. And as I preached this morning, separating, using, using Hebrews 4.12, the sword of the Spirit, all right, separating the soulish, the emotional, from the spiritual, we need to be careful that when we're helping others that we are encouraging and not just enabling them in their sin. We need to make sure that we're telling them, speaking the truth in love and not giving them an excuse to go on in their sin. And, and uh, that we're not uh, giving them an excuse for being less than what they ought to be. We ought to challenge our boys and girls, we ought to challenge our teens and our fellow Christians to be all that they can be in Jesus Christ. And we need to have a uh, an enlightened, heightened spiritual awareness of that right now. As we're headed down that path and there are others with us, we need to be helping them along the way. When you teach a child how to walk, how do you do it? I hope you do it patiently, repetitiously. When you're teaching a child to ride a bike without the training wheels, how do you do that? Hands-on. Hands-on, patiently, not impatient. Maybe you were one of those moms or dads who taught your kids how to swim. And I, I learned uh, a little bit that way, and I learned a little bit in lessons and became a very good swimmer. But how do you teach people? you got to start, all right, all right, kids, we're all going to sit on the edge here, and we're going to put our face in the pool. And you got to work at that. Now we're going to put our face in the pool, and we're going to... Blow some bubbles. And you just kind of get used to it. It's with patience. It takes time to train. And you've you got to go along with them at their level. With, with sports, with helping boys and girls to become better at sports as they're growing older, you have to teach them. The first thing you teach them is, okay, here it is. You've got to be patient. I'll never forget. We had a Christian school in Southern California. Brad, who was Bradley at that time, Bradley was in kindergarten. And he was coming up to bat for the first time. I said, take a few swings. And they helped him take a few swings. And I saw where he swung the bat. And I was the pitcher. And I got this far away. And I said, okay, ready? Swing! 
I pitched the ball exactly to where he would swing. And he hit the ball first time and ran the bases backwards. He didn't know. Nobody had told him that that's first base, that's third base. Cute. He was very cute. But everything we teach, we have to teach with patience. When we're dealing with other believers, fellowshipping, we have to be patient. We have to take our time. You can't show frustration. Everybody wasn't raised the way we were. Gwendolyn and I were raised up in old-fashioned, independent, fundamental, put every kind of adjective in there, Baptist church. And I'm telling you what, we didn't do hardly anything but church. I mean, we went to church, and we were satisfied with that. Church and church activities. That was it. That was it. But we run into people now that were not raised that way. And so we have to be patient. We can't be frustrated about those things. We need grace for life's race. And so sometimes we say, let go and let God. And that's an important Bible truth. Put that down. Let go and let God. But do we really do that? When it comes to grace, we don't always do that. So sometimes, you know, we're, we're not doing so well on the trip. And in Galatians chapter 2, I want you to turn there. We're going to be finished very, very soon. Galatians chapter 2. One of the verses we use in Overcomers Victorious is verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's a great verse to use in addiction ministries and, and uh, so forth. But I like the next verse, which also says, I do not frustrate, underline frustrate, the grace of God. For, and then it goes on and it says this, For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. What does that mean? Here's what it means. The Galatians, who were guilty of Galatianism, as many are today, thought they had to do a bunch of things and add a bunch of things to their Christianity to first qualify to be a Christian. And that's not it. When you do that, you frustrate the grace of God. So I want you to note this word frustrate. To frustrate means to block, to hinder, to render ineffective. There it is. There it is. So if you've got a child and you're teaching a child to stay in certain boundaries, what do you do with that little crawler, that little guy that's creeping along? What do you do? You step in front of him so he can't go that way. And then he, gets, he goes there. He, he gets a little frustrated, but you're impeding him. You're keeping him from going the wrong way. Well, here it says, Paul does not frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness, that's the righteousness of Christ that we have through his finished work, come by the law, it doesn't, then Christ is dead in vain. He died to save us, but he also died that we might be partakers of this grace. And on a daily basis of living in the face of our challenges, we have available that grace to be victorious on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis. The grace of God does it all. In salvation, yes, but also in service, also in sanctification, in our holy living, in in our dealing with our everyday problems and helping our brother or helping our sister along because we have to do that too. It's not every man for himself or every woman for herself. It's all of us together. We're in this together. 
We need to let God have His way in our life, but we need to let Him help us to help others. We need to yield in terms of not being forceful on our own, but we need to yield so as to accept what He provides in grace that we might also share that grace with others. I'll never forget the first time it came to my complete understanding, 2 Corinthians and chapter 1, where it says, verse number 3, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. There's a lot of comfort in there, but what it's saying is this. When you're going through a loss, like a death or a loss of a job or a loss of a relationship, and you feel nothing but brokenness, nothing but a shattered life, you come to God and you say, Lord, I can't do it, but I need you, I'm dependent on you. And He grants you His grace, and by His grace comes all the comfort that you need for that episode. Everything you need for that day. And the resources of God's grace are inexhaustible. So you've got that grace, and you get that comfort today. And you're grieving, or you're going through a, a process of being feel, feeling bad or challenged, or even maybe... Uh, on the verge of being bitter, and you draw from that grace, and He comforts you. And the next day, somebody says something, you, you hear a familiar sound, you see a familiar sight, you, you smell a familiar aroma, and something just kicks it off, and you have a memory, and all of a sudden, man, you just, you know, it's bad, and God's grace is inexhaustible. And you can draw all the comfort that you need. This goes on for weeks or months or even years. God's grace never runs out. And then something happens. Three months, six months, a year out, somebody else has a loss. Somebody else goes through something. Might not be the same thing, but they go through something. Guess what? You've still got that grace. You've got that comfort. You can say, here, let me show you how to trust God in total dependence. Let go and let God. You and I need grace to run this race. Let's draw from that grace right now. Let's bow heads and close eyes. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. How many of you tonight say, Preacher, something in that message spoke to my heart? Spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up. All right. God bless you. Trust that this will be a help to you and that we'll apply all of this. We're going to stand in just a moment. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation. If you've never received Christ, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want you to pray from your heart to God right now and mean it. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. Right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. And I trust that you prayed that and you meant it.
Son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his soul and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. He speaks in the sound of his voice is so sweet, the birds hush their singing. And the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. I'd stay in the garden with him, though the night around me is falling, but he bids me go through the voice of woe, his voice to me is calling, and he walks with me and he talks with Ever.